Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey, and I'm your host, and I'm so happy that you could join us today. Before we get started, let me just recap. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, and they fall into one of four different categories. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses. These are what we like to call the business creators. And, of course, we have the do-it-yourselfers who love to have your own hands on the levers and manage your own marketing. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. We update every single week as we complete new episodes, so please be sure to check that out as well. Now, for today, I'm especially excited to have with us as our special guest expert, somebody who I've known for a long time and have had the opportunity to see her excellent work firsthand. We have none other than Michelle P.W., considered one of the hottest marketing strategists today. Michelle P.W. has a reputation for crafting promotional materials and creating marketing campaigns that people love and get results. She's the owner and founder of Michelle P.W. Creative Concepts and Copywriting, LLC, which has a client list that reads like the who's who of Internet marketing. And I can attest for myself that over the past eight years, Michelle and I have bumped into each other at least three times with three clients where we were both working on various product launches and service launches. Michelle is also a national speaker and the best-selling author of Love-Based Copywriting, How to Attract, or excuse me, How to Write Copy That Attracts, Inspires, and Invites Your Ideal Prospects to Become Ideal Clients. And Michelle will be sharing with us today the concept of love-based copywriting. Michelle, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Oh, I couldn't be better if you paid me a million dollars. However, that should not discourage you in the attempt. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's so great to connect with you here on the Business Creators Radio Show. As I mentioned in the preamble, uh, you know, we have bumped into each other so many times. We've shared at least three clients I can think of right off the top of my head. And you are one of the very few copywriters out there where I've seen your work firsthand and I've seen the results you get for clients and can attest to it firsthand, which is why I think we're especially honored to have you here with us today. Now, before we dive in, because I know you're going to give us a ton of information, let's take a step back and just give those of our listeners, those very few of our listeners who may not have heard of you yet, a chance to get to know you a little. So just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to where you are today. Sure. And um, basically, well, I always wanted to be a writer. So I taught myself to read when I was three years old because I wanted to write books so badly. Right. So. Then I was in, and then when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what to do to make money, um, you know, writing. As I wrote the books, everybody said, "Be a journalist," and I said, "I don't want to be a journalist." So it wasn't until college that I finally kind of discovered this whole world of direct response copywriting, because um, it's just not something that that people who people that aren't in the industry really know about. And direct response copywriting, well, or copywriting, I mean, co- copywriting actually is bigger than direct response copywriting is any kind of uh, promotional piece that businesses need to have written. So, right. you know, a bios about us, so that, you know, anything at all, articles. Now, what I really specialized in, though, is direct response, which is writing promotional materials that get people to directly respond to it, take, uh, you know, they take action. So like opt-in pages where you have to put in a name and email address to get a free gift, you know, a sales letter where you you're, you know you're buying you know you're scrolling down forever looking for the price, um, that and wondering nobody reads these things that you know <laughs> that's an, that's another example. Um, emails telling you to click through, all of that is 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 a, is, is um, examples of direct response. And as you may have seen, this can be very powerful because the copy itself is creating a response and creating people to take action doesn't require you to go out, run around and do the follow-up. Well, you still have to follow-up, but run around and, and get people to take action by phone or by nudging you know, on a one-on-one basis. Now, the problem with it, though, as you may you know, be thinking about, is um, <clears throat> people, you know, it sounds hypey and salesy. So a lot of you, you probably like the idea of what direct response copywriting can do for your business, 
but you don't necessarily care for how it sounds, you know, and you don't really want that in your business. So this is something that I heard over and over and over again after I really started to get into this, you know, with the, you know, because I was serving a lot of coaches and, you know, more heart-centered or conscious entrepreneurs, you know, the name keeps changing, creativepreneurs is all sorts of, all sorts of preneurs, but um basically all these all these preneurs had one thing in common though which is that they really hated direct response copywriting and the message they were getting from a lot of the gurus was um kind of tough <laughs> you know so so either pull on your big girl panties or big boy panties and use it and grow your business or you know just be stuck with a tiny business cuz you're not going to use it so either way it just wasn't it wasn't a good you know, it just it, it didn't make people feel really good. And so I used to, I had a lot of people telling me, you know, to come up with, you know, a different way of writing copy. Now, they all had a different name for it. Like, they, they called it, you know, conscious copywriting or attraction copywriting. And I didn't want to go there. Because even though I could feel what they were feeling, too, I mean, quite honestly, I don't like the hypey salesiness either. I don't like trying to force and push somebody to you know, or make them feel bad, you know, like the shame-based marketing is a big one, you know, making people feel bad or shame them or guilt them into buying something from you. I mean, I don't like the way that energy is either. So quite honestly, I don't like it any more than anybody else. But I didn't want to create like in other. I didn't want to create a conscious or attraction copywriting because to me that felt like, you know, it was a weird little sister at, uh, you know, at the at the parties. It was like, okay, right. well, if you want a, yeah, if you want a big boy business, you're going to use real, you know, direct response copywriting. But if you're not there yet, you can go over here and talk to the weird little sister and never and never grow your business. So I really wanted to, what I wanted to do is I wanted to change direct response copy because I knew there was a way to do it better. I just and and I wanted I wanted what we thought of direct response copy to change, not just create you know create an create an other you know so. So what happened was, is, you know, so I resisted this for a while, but I mean, I was I was still writing what I what I call now love based copywriting. I just didn't really know it. Then come um, and, and then come uh, like la- about a year. I guess it was a year ago. My friend came out, Susan Liddy came out with the book Love Based Marketing, and it was a specific book on marketing for for coaches. And I looked at that title, and I thought love based marketing, love based copywriting, and then it just clicked for me. And then I realized. Um, that was a difference because what I've what I'm really talking about, it was already a part of direct response copywriting. So direct response copywriters, you know, routinely would use love based emotions and fear based emotions to get a response. They use both of them. The problem is if you mix it, then it all becomes fear. But there there's still but the point is is that it's all in there. So if you so if you want to just focus on the love based emotions, then you can do that and you can still have things work focusing on love-based emotions. You don't have to mix in the fear-based emotions. In fact, you know, it would, uh, you know, it's, you, you, I mean, there's reasons to do that, what we can talk more about. But, uh, and what I like to say is that, you know, like what my friend Lisa Sassage says, you know, that I'm committed to making a choice, but I'm not attached to what choice you want to make, but I do have a preference. So basically what I really am excited about doing, so I really want to get the word out, I want to describe to people what your choice is. You can choose fear-based marketing and fear-based copy or love-based marketing and love-based copy. I'm not committed to, I'm not attached to what choice you want to make. I'm committed to you making a choice, but I do have a preference. So. Right. <laughs> right. I love, so that, yes. Okay, so yes. that is awesome. And you've planted a number of seeds for what we're going to be covering here in the next few minutes. That's very exciting. Now, before we do that, there is a question I ask every single person who comes on the Business Creators Radio Show. And it's because of not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of different ways that our various guests interpret the question. So here it is. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that anybody who comes on our show recommends they do, except for time and money. Now, how do time and money play a role when it comes to love-based copywriting? Um, so... Yeah, I can see why you you because I mean it's like it's in terms of them implementing it or in terms of them um in terms of what it can mean for their business like using how using love-based copywriting will change their business. I think you can go whichever way you want to. 
Well, in terms of implementing it, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, well, there's no, there's no quick answer here. I mean, you have right. to, um, I mean, you do have to learn how to write if you if you want to do it yourself. You know, you have a choice. You can write your own copy and you can learn how to do it, which is going to take you time, and it may take you some money because you may have. I mean, there's a lot of free stuff out there, but you may have to invest in. Um, you know, you may have to invest in, in some programs, right. or. Uh, or you can hire, like, uh, you know, I have a copywriting agency, a copywriting company, and we can, you know, we can do it for you. And that will certainly save you time, but, of course, it's going to cost you money. So I think you have to kind of make the decision, is your time more valuable or is money more valuable? And, I, I mean, and, and depending on what stage of, of the of business you're in, I mean, if you're in, a, if you're in like, the very beginning and you don't have a lot of client, you may have a lot of time and you may be fine with learning how to do it. Like, I, you know, my, my love-based copywriting book you know, it is on Amazon Kindle, so you can you know you can pick that up. I mean, that's I mean, right. yeah, but it's 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 pretty inexpensive. It's two ninety nine. So, so I mean, and that can be a good place for you to get a, to get the start. So, in terms of um, in terms of what it can do for you, I mean, regardless of whether you put in the time to learn how to do it yourself, and then of course to subsequently write everything yourself, or the money to have it done for you. Um, it's going to know knowing how to use love based copy is going to well and for that matter actually fear based copy is the same thing it will it will make you money and save you time in the long run because like i said you know you don't have to go out and build your business one on one you don't have to go and meet everybody one on one you know meet all your clients one on one you know whether it's on facebook or twitter or in person and then follow up with them and get on a sales call with them and then sell them into your services. I mean, you know, you're, if you do all the marketing yourself like that, you're really limiting how, how your growth because um, you can't, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. You still have to do service delivery. So, But even if you didn't have to do service delivery, there's only so many hours in the day you can do marketing. So you have to make a choice. You know, and and or, you, or you actually don't have to make a choice, but you just have to realize that you're, you're going to be limited for how um you know, for for how much time you can devote to marketing, and how much time you can devote to marketing is going to, you know, that that's going to be a direct res, a direct result of how big you can grow. So, right. but direct response copy frees you up from that. Now, I would I would make the the further argument while fear based copywriting certainly can make you money in the uh, in the short term, I think it does erode your brand. I mean, it certainly eroded. This whole idea of direct response copies brand. I mean, when I say direct response copy, and when I say long copy sales that aren't described to people, most people go, "Ugh, yuck!" Do, do people really read those? And it, I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that they're long. I think it has to, because I mean, people read books which are far longer. Um, I think what it has to do with is the fact that it sounds hypey and, and salesy, and it, it taps into fear-based emotions, which doesn't feel good. And that's what people are, are are having a problem with. If it didn't tap into that, I don't think people would have a problem with it. But that's I, but I don't think people I don't people don't want it to work because if it didn't work, then they wouldn't have to to use it. But if they if they're told it does work, now they feel obligated to use it and use something right. they don't like. So that's what that's why I mean direct response copy is really about leverage. You know, above all, you are leveraging your time. You're leveraging your marketing dollar. That's what you. That's what will free you up. So this isn't really about learning a new skill or trying to make you crazy. This is about leveraging your business so you can get your message out there in a bigger way. Or even if you don't want to grow a really big business, you can still spend less time with your marketing and get to get better results. Right. I love that. I think that's beautiful. Now, uh, you touched on this just a moment ago, but I, this is a question that comes up so often that about once a year we do a webinar on it. So since you are a copywriter and you have love-based copywriting, uh, tell us your answer to the question. What works better, long copy or short copy? Well, it depends on what um, – it depends on what action you're asking them for. So, you know, the bigger the commitment, the more the copy. So right. you just want somebody to click on a link and go to an opt-in page, um, because actually, if you're in an email, for, for that matter, most of the time that should be that should be all you all you're trying to do is just get them to click on a link and take the next step, because right. then they can go to a page and, and look at more. So in that case, the copy can be short. Now there are some really short opt-in pages, which again you're just entering your name and email address, and that works as well. So you know, so because it's a low it's a low commitment. Now, if you, because you're, I mean, you have to, I mean, especially clicking a link, clicking a link isn't necessarily going to, um, 
you know, you're not going to end up getting more emails. You know, entering your name and email address, I would argue, is, is a bigger commitment because then you have to think about if you actually want to get emails from these people. So, but if you actually want to, uh, if you want somebody to take out their credit card and buy something, now you're going to need more copy because there's more. You have to. You, there's more questions people have. You know, quick clicking on a link is. You know, I mean, there's not that many questions with that. But in terms of actually giving somebody their credit card, there's they have a lot more questions. And then obviously, the more expensive the product, you know, the more money you're asking for, the more questions they're going to have. And so right. the sales letter is probably going to get longer. Right. And I think that's a really great set of guidelines to go by because uh, I've always believed myself that there is a relationship between the size and complexity of the investments and how long the copy has to be. I know somebody else defined this question by saying, well, the right length for your copy is when you say exactly what you need to say to make the conversion, however long that takes, and not a word more or less. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, and I agree with that too. Right. So it's it's um, so I, I so I think either one of, yeah I think that works too but I was just thinking from a general um, standpoint and again this is general uh, you you can always find exceptions and then and because I mean I, I, yeah overall you have to use what works so um, right. but I will say from and if it's working your short copy is working for you then by you know keep using it but um, you know but chances are the the more the commitment the more words you're going to need so that's just a, a guide a, just a general guide to get you started and then once you're started then you can you, you can test and tweak and then and then hone things better maybe you'll need more words maybe you need less words that kind of thing right it's always been my personal belief that uh, it doesn't really matter as much what people say they want as what they respond to I be, I'm very wary about wading into discussions about long copy versus short copy online because I never know for sure whether it's folks who are actually having a rational debate about what kind of copy works best versus whether it's just a bunch of folks who want to complain about, oh, I don't have time to read that stuff. Just tell me how much. Well, <laughs> well yeah, there's that too, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does work. So. I, I mean that you, you just you can't get yeah, yeah I, and you, you can't get beyond that and testing I mean really the best thing to do is to test and tweak you know test it get it out there see what happens and then and then you can see for yourself but um, so so but and and exactly and then the people complaining that's part of the problem I mean you know that's why I kind of really started this quest because really direct response. Um, uh, you know, it's taken a hit. I mean, it's it's like it, can, it. This is the most powerful weapon you can have if you can right. master direct response copy. I mean, you can free. This is the key to being able to uh, make money while you sleep, make money uh, while you education or, or while you're on vacation. It's the, it's really the key to getting your message out in a bigger way without you trying to like, you know, fly all over the place. Um, I mean, there's just there's just so much this can do for you. So. Uh, you know, so it really is the it's the biggest it's the biggest you know closest thing to an easy button that we have, but you know again tapping into emotion you know it it, it, it there's that that you know the the salesy fear basing and and the reality is is the reason why you know fear base is a little bit easier I mean I that's why that's why this really it really this really became because tapping into fear based emotions is a lot easier and a lot faster. Than you doing the love base. Love base is going to take a little more time, but I I, I believe it's my belief that it's it um, it is worth it because, like I said, you're not going to erode your brand. I mean, part of the problem when you when you use fear to get people to buy, like when you shame people to buy or you use guilt to buy. I mean, think about how they're starting the relationship with you. They're, you know, you're, you're bringing them in, and and they're and they're buying because to relieve themselves of feeling bad. I mean, that's really why they're buying. You know, you've made them feel bad. And so they buy something because they want to relieve those emotions. So now that's how you're starting off the relationship with them. Um, and and you know how, so it's so no wonder why there's buyer's remorse. No wonder why they start questioning. No wonder why if things don't go, you know, perfectly well, they may or may you know they may not have all that all that um, you know much patience. You know they they might be more quick to judge, or you know or even if they do have. Or even if it's if, if it's a, you know they got exactly what they wanted, you know they, because of those bad feelings, you know it, it still kind of leaves them sort of like an average or even maybe a slightly bad taste in their mouth because they just didn't like the way they were you know the whole buying process, and that's what I mean by eroding your brand over time. 
but love base you know you're trying to attract and inspire and invite people to come in and 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 your your best most perfect client so it's a completely different dynamic and that's how you can really start to grow your business in a bigger way when you when you kind of really master this. I mean, this is like, I mean, I'm a little skeptical when people say, as you probably are too. It's like, you know, they just, you know, I people, you know, I just use word of mouth and nothing else. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like a that's a recipe for a feast and famine business, quite yes. honestly. So, but there, you know, but the reason why that happens, the reason why people refer is be, you know, is, is how you can get started with that is because people feel good about your business and love ba- and so if you really do love based marketing copy and you have to keep doing it if you stop then your you know, the referrals will stop but right. that's how, that's how you can tie it in so so tie it into that and people will start thinking about you and, and gravitating you and being attracted to you based on that yeah and you're you're right about that uh without having some sort of direct response formula going for you, you're not going to attract new prospects. You're not going to convert prospects into customers unless you go out and you basically fight for every single one. And to me, that's not really a way to uh, live a business. And I've lived that type of business before, and I'm not going back because those feasts were really nice, but that famine was very very tough on the ego, if you know what I mean. Well, they were, but actually, I would say even for me, I mean, I had a horrendous feast and famine business for years, and I would say um, um, I, the famines were, st- or the feasts were stressful too, because it, there was, I, I mean, it was just, it was just so much work. I mean, it would go from too much to not enough, and right, and the swings, so, um, and, the, and that, and that, and the swings were just were, was what really exhausting. So. Yeah, um, I, I think they're. I think both. They're just exhausting in different ways. I can definitely appreciate that point of view. So, uh, if I were to get you to tell me right now, uh, what is the secret for writing copy that attracts, inspires, inspires, and invites your ideal prospects to become ideal clients within the aegis of this love-based copywriting concept that you've introduced to us? What would that be? Okay, so there's actually, I mean, I kind of look and say there's sort of three pillars of, okay. of love-based copy. So, um, a writing love-based copy. So the first one is um, knowing who your ideal clients are. And uh, so I guess we'll, we'll start there. Because I like ideal clients um, versus niche markets or um, or target markets, which is some other ones you might have used or might have heard. And, and the reason why is because, I, well, I, get, I mean, it is more the psychographics. I mean, other people said, oh, you're talking about psychographics, and it's true. Um, but it's deeper than that because I really want you to, that's what I really want you to be focusing on. What are, what are your ideal client's core values and core beliefs? Um, you know, what, what, what's really important to them? So, so if we take this, if we look at this, um, um, so like in, so a niche, I'll, I'll kind of give you a quick example so you, you know, you, you understand what I'm, um, so you can kind of see the difference. So like a niche might be um, women ages 30 to 50 who are stay-at-home moms looking for a business opportunity. Right. Okay, so that's a great niche, you know, and, and you can and you can see how that, you know, has been niched down from a target market. The problem with that is it's all very external. I mean, it's just... It's very, um, you know, it's, it's very external. It's, it's, it's not at all about kind of what's going on in their head internally. So, so there's actually two ideal client groups in that target market or that or that niche market. I mean, so one is the the woman who is looking for business opportunity because she is feeling like she's losing herself. You know, money is not driving her. Her financial financially, her needs are met, but emotionally, emotionally, they're not. Emotionally feels like she gives everything to her family, and she's, uh, you know, she just doesn't have anything. You know, there's just nothing for her. So, and and she might even be feeling like, hey, you know, I, you know, this is exactly what I thought I always wanted, and yet somehow she's still feeling, you know, you know, she's she's thinking, is this it? (laughs) She's, you know, she's having trouble feeling satisfied, all that other stuff. So, now the second group, though is a woman who is the, the reason why she's looking for a business opportunity is because she has found herself in the situation where she uh, needs to make money. Um, she needs to, you know, she has to be the breadwinner. She's got to put food on the table. She's got to support her family. So with her, obviously money is very important. Um, you know, all the rest of it, um, how, how, how um, you know, if it's fulfilling or whatever is secondary at this point. Um, and... You know, and and she has different. You know, with her, she's probably willing to 
um, not be be less flexible with her, t or, or she she would she'd be willing to trade uh, less flexibility and longer work hours if that meant that her you know she'd able, she'd be able to you know pay the mortgage and keep food on the table, versus the woman number one, you know with her flexibility may be very important because just because she's looking for something for herself doesn't necessarily mean she wants to sacrifice going to soccer games and making sure dinner is on the table. So she wants to make sure she can do the work, the times that she can do them, and it can be very flexible. So when you look at it that way, I mean, these are two very different people with very different messages, and you, and you, you, have, to, you have to use different words and languaging to speak to each one. And if you try to, if, if so, and if you try to put both, because that's what a lot of people do, because I know it, it you know, it's kind of scary, because you think, well, I can help both, and I'm sure you can. This isn't about you; it's about them. You know, think about yourself as a consumer. Do you really believe the jack of all trades, master of none? I mean, chances are, when you are ready to invest money to solve a problem that you have, whatever problem that is, if it's a business problem or a relationship problem or a money problem or a health problem. I mean, we're, you're, you're not going to go most of the time. You know, for the most part, you you are going to try and find somebody as, as much as as much of an expert and as much of a specialist as you can find, because then you can believe that this person, that you know, this person can solve my specific problems. Because what do you think? I mean, you 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 personally are thinking are, are probably thinking something along the lines of, well, I believe that you know this person has you know the expertise and has solved other people's problems that are sort of like mine but mine is different mine is unique so if you if you believe that your problem is unique for whatever reason you know whatever life circumstance or business circumstance is different then you want somebody who you feel really confident has seen something like yours before or has so much experience um it doesn't matter so that's what a lot of other people are looking for. Now, uh, granted, there are times where you look for generalists. I'm not saying that generalists are never um, are never in demand, but right. most of the time, you want a specialist because you want it. You, if you're ready to spend, invest the time and the money to solve a problem, you want it solved now. You don't want to screw around buying the wrong solution and investing time and money in the wrong solution, only to have to start over. Right. So that's why making sure the message matches is so important. Yeah, yeah, and that, and I really appreciate you taking the time to lay that out for our listeners because these are a lot of things that are very important to think about when we structure our copy. Now, we're almost halfway through here. I mean, you're just giving us so much information, the time is just flying by, and our listeners know that not only am I the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, but I'm sitting right next to them in the audience with my notepad out taking notes, and I think I got almost a whole page just off what you've shared with us so far. Um, another place where I am seeing impacts on the school of direct copywriting and that form of copywriting and messaging is as we move more through the era of smartphones and mobile devices and mobile responsive websites and what we typically think of as a sales letter, that long form with all the headlines and subheadlines and everything else, doesn't necessarily seem to fit as much as it used to within the parameters of mobile design or mobile responsive design. Am I right about that or are you seeing a different type of trend? Well, I think what's – I mean, yes, I, I definitely think that we have to look at the design um, of, of it. But just – but but the um, – you still need the, – the, the messaging isn't really going to change. So, so that's the thing. I mean, some things don't really change. I mean, how it looks on the mobile device is really important. Um, and you have to be cognizant of how – I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer of being cognizant of how people are using it. So if you know that people are checking their – you know their smartphones, or you know while they're you know while they're sitting you know they're they're probably multitasking. So if they're on their smartphones, you know they may be sitting there, you know watching a soccer game or waiting for ballet class to doing it and kind of you know half watching and half checking at the same time. And so you know from that you want to make sure that it's e clean, it's easy. You can people can view it on there. The links are, are where they're supposed to be. So that kind of stuff, you know, you can, you can it fills a screen, you know. So so it's sort of I think it's more from a technical standpoint than from uh, from um, the messaging. I mean, the messaging is never going to go this go well. I shouldn't say it's never going to go away, but the messaging is is a little bit more 
um, is, a, is a little bit more of a foundational piece. Because that, that once you've got this, like you know who your ideal clients are, you're, you're now going to be able to know, you know, when you meet them in person, you know, if they're online, if you are doing an interview, if you're speaking on stage, wherever you go, you're going to be, you're, you're going to know who you're looking for. So it's more of a foundational piece to your whole, to making your whole business easier. And once you know who your ideal clients are, you're going to know exactly how they're using um, technology. You know, you may have an ideal client who doesn't use technology. You know, they, they may, you know, there are still people out there. In fact, when I was getting my new iPhone 6, I was standing there because I had to order it, and, and I was going to pick it up, and I'm standing there waiting, and there's a guy in front of me that did not want a smartphone. His, he wanted just a little flip phone that just would make calls, or maybe he would make calls and texts. But... um and and you, you really can't get those anymore. And he was telling the the person how disappointed he was with this whole thing. And the person and the the owner of the store, and the owner store says, you know, you're not alone. There are other people out there like it. So, you know that that person, you know, may still have a computer and be online, but they're not going to be multitasking and checking things all over the place. So, you know, that's that's the thing to keep in mind. How are they using technology? And right. So that that you know, are they using technology? How are they using tech? What are their favorite um, places to be? That kind of thing. Right, right. Another way that you can solve this and determine what really to do with your copy is to look at your Google Analytics because analytics will tell you what percentage yeah. of your page visitors are using computers versus which are using mobile devices or tablets. So you know how they're rating it. And if you find out that 90% of your viewers are coming from computers, you know you probably have leeway to go in one direction. If you find out that 85% of them are coming from smartphones, then you need to be aware of how to lay out your copy in terms of those parameters. Now, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of what people need to be aware of when it comes to digital literacy? So, so that is a new one. What do you mean by digital literacy? Uh, the idea, to put it colloquially, that somebody can look at what's on a web page and not get a headache from trying to read it. Uh, oh. So I think what I mean. So isn't that isn't that kind of like the 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 how people would adjust their own phones and Kindles? Like they would just address like the the fonts, the black. I mean, you would want to for the most part. It still makes sense to have black words on white, or it doesn't have to be black on white. But I mean, it, you know, darker words and a lighter screen, and that right. hasn't changed. So you know, the reverse. Like if you're going to do, I mean, reverse can look like you know white on black. Um, that's very striking, and um, and I, it's certainly something you can use, but I would say use sparingly because it, it will give you a headache. Um, it will give people a headache if they try to keep using that. So I, I, you know, I still think if you look at this, a lot of the the fonts and everything. I mean, what are, what are you, you're, this is more your. I think I think you're really the expert on this part. I mean, I mean that what I've seen is that you know the the, the colors and the fonts. None of that's really changed. So right. you just got to be. More, you know, just more cognizant of not doing something that's so design heavy or, or so or, or so weird co colors that it throws you off. Yeah, yeah, th yeah. That's all very true. And another thing I think of when we think of digital literacy is I like to remind folks of what it was like when they were in school, whether it's secondary school or college or what have you, and they were given a reading assignment where they had to read Chapter 3 before the next class in case there was a pop quiz or because it was on a test or what have you. So think about what happened when you had to go read Chapter 3. You pull out your textbook, and you figure out that Chapter 3 runs from pages 46 to 63. That's the first thing you do. So now you know you have 17 pages to read. The second thing is you skim through those pages and you're looking to see if there are any breaks, things like subheadlines, pictures, um, whether it's a bunch of long paragraphs where the paragraphs are broken up, is there space between the paragraphs or their bullet point lists, or does it read like one long paragraph in nine point times New Roman? If it was the latter scenario, one of two things can frequently happen. The first thing that can happen is a person reads through three or four pages of it and realizes they haven't comprehended a word they just read, so they have to go back and do it again, and or seeing what they have to look forward to, those 17 pages of long, tiny font without breaks, they may begin to feel physically tired just looking at it, thinking yeah. about the prospect of reading it. And if that's your sales copy, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of direct response, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I think you definitely have to look at that. 
Right, right. Um, and I, and, yeah, and I found myself, Michelle, that uh, many times if I'm editing copy that was written by somebody else, uh, and they and they and they give it to me, and this happens a lot with my some of my top clients, they'll write their copy and then they'll give it to me and ask me to fix it up for the web page. And a lot of my fixing has to do with taking segments out of paragraphs and turning them into subheadlines and breaking paragraphs into multiple paragraphs or bullet point lists. Right. It's funny how just that little change right there can impact the power of your copy. Now, what I'd like to do also is I'd like to explore um, email copy. Uh, So before I get into any specific questions, just overall, what do you see are some of the trends in terms of increasing open rates and click-through rates, especially in this age where everything seems to go into promotions tabs and people are paying attention to their email or they're overwhelmed with email uh, to a greater degree than it was even a year ago? So I am really glad you asked this. And I will I will first start off by telling you is that um, that this has not really been – the code has not completely been cracked. So – um, you know, there's there's certain things that that are working now, and I suspect though, but I suspect you know things are you know the, the, it, it seems to be a, a constantly changing thing. Um, so what I but I what I believe, and if you follow this, uh, you're 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 always gonna you're, it's always gonna be easier for you, is creating a community. I really hate the term. This is another part of love-based copywriting that I go into. I go into a whole thing of, of, of rename of, of definition of terms. And so if you get the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. And list is one of them. Because to me, if you have a list, uh, you know, if you call it a list, you have an email list, this is my house list, my email list, my newsletter list, you know, whatever, you, you know, general list. Um, you, know, what, you know, there's a lot of different ways to say it. The problem with that is that, You've dehumanized it. I mean, all of it. And so, so you, you, you know, it's just like it's a list of names. You know, so you know, you have no connection with them. And and so, when you're writing copy, or when you're planning your promotions, if you just, you, you know, you you you're not really thinking about the person on the other end, and and how they're feeling and how they're getting their email and how they're, you know, how emotionally they're attached to you. So, so I, so it's like it's a dehumanizing thing. So you might be more likely to just send out emails because they benefit you the business owner because maybe somebody um agreed to promote you back even though it's not a good fit um you might promote it anyways because you know because you know and so you're you're not thinking about how your 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 list which and I'm calling it list deliberately here is is going to deal with it cuz you don't really you know cuz you're not really thinking them as people so i like to call it community um, so you're building a community, and you, you've got community, you know, on Facebook. You have a community at, where people have gifted you with their email addresses. And, you know, let's, uh, you know, and I think we, you know, it is a gift. I mean, you know, to, to have people, you know, to, to have access to people's inboxes, even if it's going in the promotional tabs, it is a gift. And I think we've squandered that gift. And I think that is exactly why we've ended up where we are because we because we squandered that gift instead of treating it the way we should have. So I am. So I personally am trying some things um, uh, myself, which is really leading with content. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you have a. I have a podcast too. So that right. I, that I, yeah, and you know, having you know, being able to direct people so they can you know download and listen to um, content. You know, especially you know if, I, if you know, and then, and then if they want more, then they've got a link to go and and get more. If they don't want more, they can they you know, they've gotten a taste without without having to go opt in somewhere else. So I'm not sending my people away. You know, and really, you know, talking to, you know, adding your personality. Um, you know, t- talking about your life. You know, doing all the things that we kind of do um face to face with people. You know, if we think about that, you know, how we can give value. Uh, that that's what I that, so that's the kind of things that I'm, I'm really working and and on really making things different um, to really create and build a community. Right. Now that said, I will say um, shorter emails um, do as a, and I'm gonna this is a general rule. <laughs> Feel free to break it. Right. But shorter emails do seem to work a little better. And putting links on separate on separate uh, lines and some of that some of those do work better. And I would just say, just I would use those in conjunction with, you know, how can you really view your who your, um, you know, view view the people who are following you. You know, how can you really talk to them as people? Right, right. Uh, there's a couple things you said in there that I 
really liked was the idea of breaking out the links and putting them on separate lines. And I find with email copywriting especially, it's really important, even more in some cases than web-based copywriting, to break up those long paragraphs and use bullet point lists in shorter segments. Because uh, think about even if you're reading web pages on a web browser most of the time, when do we seem to spend a lot of our time with our email? When we're sitting somewhere waiting for something and we're scrolling through our smartphone. Right. To me, that's where I do most of my email, such as it is, and that's where I'm most likely to find the time to read those broadcast emails that come to me that I might not get to while I'm being focused on my project of the day. That's just the, the way it is. Now, uh, what have you found uh, in terms of subject lines? Because I personally have had a lot of good fortune and a lot of success results having fun with subject lines. I think having fun with subject lines is the way to go. Again, this is like testing and seeing what happens. And I have found one of the things that I've found working with multiple different clients is that your 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 community will get trained with your subject lines. So so if you if you send out a lot of long subject lines, you know your community right. actually will, even though. You know, the, even though what you might hear, oh, you know, they have to be short, they have to be less than, I don't even know what the number is. That's just so many, so many characters. Um, and I'm not saying that's not a, that's not a fine thing to follow, to, you know, to, to look at, a guideline again, but if you, as a whole, tend to send longer, longer subject lines, your list, your community of email people, you know, are getting your emails are used to that, and they probably will, and they seem to respond better than when you suddenly shorten it. So, that, people get used to things. And I think having fun, being creative, but don't don't be so creative that I mean that you can be, or I should say, yeah, you can be too creative and you can be too cute. You can certainly <laughs> cute your way and creative your way out of anybody looking at it. But uh, you know, I do think having fun and testing some things out is never a bad thing. But but make it, but you know, you know, asking questions is usually good. Um, you know, having some sort of a benefit so people, you know, invoking curiosity, having some sort of a benefit are both also good to, in terms of being able to do that. Right. So do you have any horror stories you can share with us of people who really blew it being too cute or too whatever with the subject lines? Because that is a place that I personally love to push the envelope. And I know that we've had a few people who knew you were going to be on the show today who wrote to me in advance asking me if I could get this information from you. Like, have you seen people just go too far with it or just do something too silly that backfired? Yeah, so if you, because if you, yeah, if you, if you write, you know, some of these emails where, these subject lines where it's just, it's not, it's not clear what it is that you are, um, that you're even, that you're even talking about, uh, you know, the, the, those don't get, those tend not to get a good response. So if you, if you have to like really explain what it is, um, that's, yeah, that, that tends to, that tends to be a little bit on the, too cute. If you use too many initials, weird initials too, like let's say you're trying to talk about a program and you've made an acronym out of it. Right. <laughs> you know, that's an, again, you know, people are going to get this acronym in the subject line. It might be perfectly clear to you because you've lived and breathed it, but it's not going to be clear to them. So they're, so having an acronym, um, unless it could, could really, could again, just kind of derail people because then they don't even know what you're talking about. Um, and I also think, you know, some of the some of the ones that used to work, like, you know, it's. I mean, and now I, again, we're getting away from being a little too creative, but some of the ones, like, you know, it's it's, you know, just saying it's today. I mean, you can still use those, and they do seem to work. But I would be, um, again, if you, if if you every t- single time you have a call, you know, say it's today. Um, and just that, I think that's a little too short, and it's it's not it's not as powerful enough. You might want to say, you know, you know, hey, our you know our our call, and then put like maybe the title call or learn how to do X Y Z today. You know, it's today. You know, our free or put it's today, and then put our free call or something like that to just kind of um, make it a little bit more clear what it is, so people right. can immediately know it's like, oh yeah, I, you know, that's I want to sign up for that call, you know, and it's today versus. Um, um, you know, versus so if you make it too vague, that's not. I don't think that's good either. And then if they know that it's not interested, and then they just delete it, and that's fine too. Right, right. I, I mean, and, and I think it all depends on how you calibrate the campaign, how many messages you send, and and you know what story you're telling through the process of your emails. Because I have had 
incredibly good results sending emails that pretty, you know, especially to promote webinars that literally say, I'm hosting a webinar tomorrow. It's going to be really great. Click here to sign up. And, you know, and if people, that's the thing. It's like, if so if you've got people who, you know, you've trained your community that way. So your community, you know, it, you know it's, it's a short email, so that's good. So now they're clicking through to, to see what, you know, to, to get more information. So, and that's where you, and that's where it, it seems to work better is on the longer pages to have a little bit more copy. That seems to work better than putting, than sending out the really long emails. Now that said, the long emails still do work, and don't 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 do everything short because that's going right. to eventually you're, you'll 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 kill things that way too. You know, really, it, you know, it's it's a dance. You know, it's a dance between <laughs> some long, some short, seeing what works. If something works, now the only thing I would caution you about it is that just I mean, you, you know, it works. Keep it in your hip pocket, and don't do it every single time because if you do it every single time or every single email, I should say, it will stop working. But if you just use that for Okay, this is all you know. This is the email I'm going to do, you know, the day of or the day before. You mix it up a little bit, it'll continue to have a lot of power. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's also good for us to keep in mind. I mean, it's great to come up with a standard style, but I find that using a little cognitive dissonance and mixing things up every once in a while can have an even greater impact. Uh, Because you said it yourself, Michelle, a few minutes ago, when you do something that's a little bit unexpected that causes people to pay attention. Yes, that's what you want. So, again, you know, you want to know what works, so you can always go back to that. And you know, and you don't want to you don't want to stray too far from what works because that's going to you know that that's going to um, you know that that can also hurt things as well. But you also want to mix things up too. Right. So and and the, I guess and the last thing to remember is that if your if your head's kind of spinning with like you know oh my gosh I do this I mean <laughs> really one bad email is not going to kill you. <laughs> so, so, right. So send, so I I would say watch your your um, you know all these all these email programs give you um, analytics. And keep an eye on them. And if you see uh, an email that either does really well or really poorly, don't do it again. <laughs> doesn't mean that your list has disappeared. It just means now you know. <laughs> right. Don't do that again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I've discovered that myself promoting some of my own um, uh, resources and solutions and webinars and things along those lines. I've occasionally sent an email out that was an absolute dud. And I'm thinking, okay, well, got good open rates. My click-throughs look good, but where are my registrations? Well, maybe that one just didn't work, so I try another one. And then the next one works great. And sometimes the ones that I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to perform, the sales start rolling in. So you just never really know. And this kind of leads to a question that is on many people's minds here, since we're talking about copywriting and email marketing and how those two things come together, is uh, how many emails are too many? Um, that, uh, you know what, watch, you, when you start seeing massive amounts of people unsubscribing your list, you've hit too many. Right. <laughs> so, again, uh, you know, it's really what your community is used to. I mean, if you started your relationship off with your with your community sending a multiple amounts of email, they will have a higher tolerance for multiple mo- amounts of email. And, but if you... If, if you're somebody who does not send out a whole bunch of emails, then they then in, and you suddenly send out a bunch of emails, uh, you know they you know they're going to have a lower tolerance. So um, so I don't but you know typically people stop one too short I would say. Okay. And even though I I, I would say typically, um, you know people I I see most people who are oh I should say look, let me take this back um people who are um, who are who who, may, who maybe would want, want to be more successful? They're the ones who tend to pull themselves up short on on the one email. So so they so if so the people who are like some of the bigger names in this industry, I mean they're they're sending out, you know they're they're sending out that one more email, um, and that's part of the reason why that's made them successful to begin with. And you know and then and then they're watching, and then if they suddenly see a flood of unsubscribes, they know they've gone too far, and then they back off. And that's, right. and that's really what, and that's and that's really what they do. They go to where they see the flood. They they're not afraid of that. Whereas those of us, because um, you know, who are 
uh, who maybe don't see a successful launch, I think part of it is what's driving is you don't want to see that flood of unsubscribes. I mean, isn't that kind of the back of your head? It's taking you so long to build this co- list, this community. Oh, my God, if a whole bunch of people unsubscribe, what am I going to do? So. Oh, and I, oh, I know. I lost <laughs> nine people, and, and my client complained because they're getting these emails. I, I've, I run into this all the time in management yeah. of product launches is the client will come to me and say, you know, this person's my client. They're saying I'm sending too many emails. Well, that's because they are their client. And, and yeah, and so they sh- and, you know, then you just need to manage it better and not have your clients be getting all those emails. So I agree, your clients don't need to get so many emails. Right, but, right. And this is, this is just an outlier type of thing, right. really. And, uh, and, I re- and my client forwarded to me what their client had written to them. It was like, maybe you should have some sort of list segmentation. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, they were already in the no segment because we were building a launch list and uh and they happened to catch one of the four or five emails we were sending to the entire community to pull people onto the launch list which we're heavily right. focusing on. So the short answer to your person is, Okay, maybe next time I've taken you off the list. What can you do? Right. Exactly. And then it's like oops, sorry about that. So yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and other, and other things come into play, too, that I think sometimes causes fear with folks, which is uh, you do your best to segment your list, to keep your existing customers off, to keep the people who already signed up off, to keep the people who may be in a different segment of your audience away from an email that's clearly seg- you know, targeted towards somebody else. But one thing you can never really help is if they have multiple email addresses on your list. What are you going to exactly. do, check every single person? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they have to let you know or they have to clean themselves off. So, yeah, there's really not much you can do about that. Right. Right. And the only thing you can really say in that case, in my experience, is uh, if you're really worried about it, every so often mention something like, um, if you're receiving this by mistake, just disregard. Or if somebody points that out to you, it's like, hey, why are you offering me this course? I bought it. And then you look in the database and you clearly see that they have two different email addresses. You just tell them, say, whoa, uh, sorry about that. We just see you have two different email addresses here. Uh, Which one would you like us to send stuff to going forward? That's all you have to do. Right, exactly. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to go down this little rabbit hole with you, uh, especially with your expertise when it comes to these sorts of things, is just to draw out that I think that when we talk about, we can talk about fear-based copywriting and love-based copywriting all day long, and I think uh, I, and I just saw this myself, but feel free to take credit for it on your own, is that the, sometimes because of the fear, we fail, we fail to share the love. Yes. Well, and that's one of the things. So so, so quickly, when we go back to love base, and I can just kind of cover, um, you know, one of them is the correct use of, um, uh, well, I'll just say yes. Um, part of it is the mindset. And I think that that's, you know, is, is you have to, um, is if you are in fear personally or in scarcity mode, it's going to be really hard for you to embrace love-based copy and love-based marketing. So, so working on your mindset, working on that yourself, is going to really help you be able to market and build a love-based business. And you really, and if you want to build a love-based business, you need to have love-based copy and love-based marketing. You can't, again, if you start mixing fear in somewhere, it taints everything. So yeah, um, you definitely your mindset is very very important. Right. And if you want to know, if you want to know, since I know we're almost out of, we're getting close to almost out of time. Oh yeah. Um, I have something that I can. Um, uh, I have a love-based copywriting template that I'd love, love to offer everybody for free. Um, I did develop it in, you know, to go with the book. But again, you can get a lot out of it um, just for just just to, um, you know, just the, the template itself. And it's at michellepw.com, or actually, it's love-based. Sorry, it's love-basedcopywritingbook.com forward slash template. Wow. I'm going to have to grab that for myself because I'm yeah. always looking for these types of things in terms of sharpening up my own skills. So lovebasedcopywritingbook.com forward slash template, template. is where, yeah. we, where we can get this, this free love-based copywriting template. I would yep. love to see that for myself. Yes, so you can get that, and then if you feel so inclined, if you look at that, like I said, it's, 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 it works really well with the book. It's a Kindle book. It's $2.99. Um, and you can get that on Amazon, um, but it, you know, you, but you can still. It, it, I, so I would, I would say it works better with it. But you don't have to have the book. You can get a lot out of just the template. Because I do have an explanation with the template. Right, but for two dollars and ninety nine cents, and being able to instantly download and start reading about two minutes after we uh, tune out of the Business Creators Radio Show, why would anybody who's listening to this right now not give themselves that gift of taking advantage of what's in front of them right this moment? 
Yeah, I I I, I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of figured that I could get you rallied to my side. Yes, right I totally rallied to your side. <laughs> well, this is this has been really fantastic. Uh, you know, you've shared with us, Michelle, a ton of great information, and I think you've really demystified a number of things. And some places you validated things that I've been teaching all along, but you also have given me a few things to think about in terms particularly of email copy, because this is a place where my business has been spending a lot of time lately, is in generating and creating email campaigns. So one final question that's on people's minds here, and I know we have about five minutes left, and you've already shared with us the special gift for, your, for our audience, which I really appreciate, is if you could tell us uh, just any thoughts you have about how we apply the love-based copywriting approach to product launches. That's something that's on a lot of people's minds in a place where people do tend to get afraid because if they want to do a product launch, now they're thinking, well, now I've got to send all these emails and do these sales letters and sideways sales letters and sales videos and BSLs and all that, and it feels like I'm beating them over the head. Yes, but it's, it's, again, it's not the quantity that makes that turn something from love to fear. Right. It's the, it's the emotions that you're tapping. So if you if you look into tapping emotion into, into emotions, you know, it, you know, into really attracting the people who you want. So you know how you know talking. You know, I don't I don't think it's a problem to uh, you know to, to tap into pain. By the way, so right. I do feel like pain pain is love based, and the reason why I say that, I mean, I go into this a little bit more. I'll make this really fast, but pain is. Um, is is it, you know it's a part of life. I mean you can't. In fact, in fact, there are people out there who can't feel pain and they tend to not live very long. So pain is your body's way of telling you there's something wrong. You need pain to grow. Um, you need all of this. But where fear base where where fear base is, is screwed everything up is 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 you don't is 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 fear base turned pain into suffering. Suffering takes place in your head. I don't think, I don't think you really need to suffer. You need to have pain in this physical life of ours. I mean, we can't really get away from pain, but we don't have to suffer because suffer is when we take the pain and we make it worse. You know, we 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 have anxiety around this, we have fear around it. Um, you know, whatever we we make it bigger than it is. Um, we add shame, we add guilt, whatever. So that's the difference. So you use so you can still tap into people's pain. In fact, you should because it's actually disrespectful to not because your ideal clients really are in pain. And if you right. just ignore their pain, that's not working either. I mean, think of people who go to doctors and their doctor says it's all in their head. So you still should you still should acknowledge their pain, but do it in a respectful manner. Um, you should, and then you should, uh, and then from there, you know, talk about where you know go into you know what you know what what your solution is, the transformation, you know where they want to go, and speak to them in that way. So that's that's the difference. And if you do that, you can still do all of that in love in in for have you know love based kind of launches. You can still do that. And you can still have emails and sales letters. And so the quantity, it's just how you talk to them is going to be completely different. Yeah. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us because this is something that I run into very frequently in terms of folks who want to launch their products and launch their services. And we get into conversations about what that would entail. And we go through our done for you and our done with you approaches. And they ask me what goes into a product launch. And I start talking about the, you know, building the launch list and the free gifts and the sideways sales letter and the video sales letters and the pre-launch, the doors open, the doors closed, the reveal of the sales letter with the links broken and all these other techniques that we use with product launches. And they say, wow, that feels like I'm going to be clubbing them. And when we take it from a love-based approach, it's more about how we're helping them. We're helping them understand how right. they can reach out and they can improve their situation. They can smartly invest in themselves and their businesses right now, and we give them the opportunity to do that. So not making an offer to me is insulting. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, and I, I, I this happened to me about four or five years ago. I was posting in a discussion group on LinkedIn, and this person decides to spout off, and they say, Wow, Adam, I thought when I visited your blog I was going to get actual value. Instead, it's just a fluff piece for you to promote your stuff. And I'm thinking, uh, why are you saying it's a fluff piece? And then I started reading off the titles of some of my blog posts and explaining some of the content and saying, how is giving actionable stuff that people can take and run with right now 
bluff. And he said, because you're telling people to invest in your website review service. And I said, yeah, if I got them excited about the possibility of improving their website and their conversions and I didn't offer them a way to do that, I basically just wasted their time. So explain to me how I fluffed anybody. But they just didn't get it. But everybody else did, of course. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, what you're going to run into sometimes are folks who just get insulted by the idea of you making an offer at all, and uh, that's something I think we have to just uh, deal with as we go along. So I want to thank you, Michelle, so much for being with us today. This has been a fantastic interview. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. And for everybody, this is Adam Homie, the Business Creators Radio Show. Till next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>